0: here with Jessica Q, who is a comedian, podcast host, actor and writer and she's just on her new tour, or well, not new actually, it's been around for a little while, you did it in Edinburgh.
1: I did it in Edinburgh and then I've just done um, all of January at the Soho Theatre in London but this is the start of the tour, this is the start yeah. of it being on the road, last okay. night was the first night. Yeah,
0: yeah. and it's called Hench yeah. which comes from a story of you struggling with feminist flirting
1: Yeah, exactly. And it is struggling with, really. I had a a sort of unexpected heart and head conflict when somebody flirted with me in the gym and as part of it told me I looked hench. And I was like, ah. But, you know, it's just one of those where I was like, I bet intellectually as a feminist, I know that that. And I'm here, you know, actively growing my body, lifting heavy weights, you know. So why am I trying not to cry? (laughs) And I just thought there's there's something very interesting in that in terms of um, how we think about femininity and strength. Yeah.
0: Um, Basically, so that's what the show's about. So do you think that was that reaction was just a gut instinct? And you've now, if you had that compliment again. Oh yeah, I mean, if you you take the show,
1: the show sort, the show sort of charts the journey. Yeah. Basically, of that, yeah. No, I totally would absolutely embrace the compliment of hench now.
0: Yeah. So do you meet people after shows who come out with similar stories like that when they're like, "Oh God, I shouldn't have reacted like that. I wish yeah. oh, my I my feminist really instinct didn't come lovely through." Lovely
1: ones, yeah. Or no, although like they wish they could just override the emotional internal because that's the bit that's been, you know, drilled in unhelpfully over centuries of patriarchal oppression. Really, and ideally, like what we like to think of women as being strong in very sort of quiet, small ways, and childbirth. basically Um, but um, yeah and and you know we've intellectualised ourselves out of it but you can't have your feelings my favourite one that somebody told me about um, was that their friend was lifting loads of heavy stuff out of a car and a man drove past and said you're a strong lady and she said thank you and he went farm? (laughs) oh what? (laughs) (laughs) just a question farm?
0: surely she must have grown
1: up on a farm to be that strong which is just glorious yeah. and now whenever anyone posts anything about hench on my social media that particular friend just posts a comment in capitals farm, farm. question mark and that really makes me laugh yeah,
0: yeah. But you, you've mentioned in your stand-up the thing about the mongolian thing mm-hmm. the people who look for a like strength and that kind of thing in yeah. a wife so it's just our culture oh it's not just that... our
1: culture there are, there are very few where it's really lauded to be to be um a big strong woman as yeah. part of the culture. But, I mean, I, I say that in terms of through my Western gaze, you know. Yeah. I don't know very much about, like, lots of tribal living and stuff like that. I just mm. I just watched a documentary about Mongolia once where, and it, 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 where yeah, like, the, the number one things when they're matchmaking their children that the boys have to look for in their future wife is big, strong legs. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, really,
0: I find it really interesting you see those, like, um, National Geographic things, where they have, the, like, the average yeah. face of someone who's considered beautiful... In that yeah. culture, or that part of the world, and it's completely different. But yeah, it's so interesting, yeah. and it sort of does. I used to be cynical about saying that. Like, oh, you know, beauty standards. It's just like I didn't believe that you could be told what was beautiful. Yeah. I thought that like, surely that's inbuilt. That's just something you have. It's innate, yeah. and, it,
1: and it's subjective, mm. and it's no, not at all. Exactly, it's crazy. And we're all really conditioned to look for symmetry, and yeah. and um, and people are like us, aren't we? Apparently. Yeah. That's not weird. The weird but well, everybody it? is, and that's why. I yeah. mean, is that so interesting, isn't it? It's fascinating. It's and I do remember it, yeah. watching. I tried. I did years ago. I did the Trans-Siberian with a mate, and and we started in St. Petersburg, went all through Russia, all through Mongolia, and then got trains all through down to Moscow, and then tra- uh, no, sorry, to Beijing, and then got Chinese trains all down through China to Hong Kong, and um, that because I've you know. oh not when I was growing up in Dorset, but I've lived in London over half my life now, just being somewhere so diverse. You then go on that journey and watch places that are way less diverse. I mean, especially China, but it was literally like watching physiological demographic of people go from St. Petersburg, where people don't look that dissimilar to in any, in any other European city, and, and just genuinely watching how people physically morphed from mm. that through to what Chinese people look like yeah it was amazing actually like it's it's, yeah fascinating
0: it's really interesting Mm. so have you always managed to get a little bit of a message in with your stand up comedy no (laughs) (laughs) okay
1: I don't think it's pivotal, yeah. to be honest. I, I still, I feel like I get asked a lot whether you think comedy can change anything and stuff like that. And it's like, it doesn't have to. I'd no. be perfectly happy even if people came to this show and just went, yeah, it's really funny. I mean, I'm a comedian. I'm not a, um, I am not I do not consider myself to be any kind of social justice warrior or uh, politician or, you know. But, but I make political points. I think when you're doing something for long enough where, and stand-up's quite particular in the sense that it's, well, certainly what I do is absolutely a very, very close version of real, really me on stage. Then I, the, the older you get at it, then the more you want to talk about things you really care about. Just yeah. so that there's fire in your belly
0: for it. Yeah. So what was it that you started out talking about when you first did stand up?
1: Oh god, I was crap, and I just talked about everything. I mean, I just did. I had, I'd have like stories about my family, um, like stuff about where I'm from, and then I'd have like a section of one-liners in the middle. I was like eight different comedians in one, and then I'd maybe do some like searing, dark stuff at the end, and then, <laughs> just a, yeah, everyone... and then a really clunky callback to a bit yeah. that wouldn't have even worked at the beginning. I had no. It took me absolutely ages to get any good at this, and have to yeah. sort of a clear idea of what what I would do on stage or sound like or who I would be, but also I think I started in my mid early mid twenties and I didn't know who I was really then. I'm still working yeah. that out, so sort of all, all comes at once. That
0: so you feel like you found your voice in comedy as you've get, life, got to yeah. know your. That's that's mm. definitely a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, so you yeah, feel like yeah, hell yeah. You know what you're you're trying to achieve now, and the guests, yeah. the guess the audience know what yeah. to expect from you, that kind
1: of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'm going to start um, calling them guests. Yeah, yeah. That's nice, isn't it? I think they'll feel a bit more special a bit if they're guests. Yeah, like, yeah, you've been individually show, plucked, one by one.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's quite a nice way to put it. Yeah. Even if it was an accident. <laughs> um, <laughs> as you said, you grew up in Dorset. Yeah. I would be prepared to say that it's one of the least shows, showbiz places in the country. Oh, yeah. You know, that's like a big jump. mm to go from a background in Dorset like that, or I imagine it was.
1: I did a lot of Amdram.
0: Yeah. As so how, That was the first thing. You didn't get yeah. it wasn't comedy straight away, it was acting no, first. No, no, yeah. no, acting first. And yeah. I
1: started comedy because I wanted to get noticed as an actor. I started yeah. for a really bad reason. Oh, right, okay. That, the purist stand-ups get furious about that. When actors just go, oh, I'll do a bit of stand-up just mm. to get a bigger profile. It's exactly what I did. But I um, then I fell in love with stand-up and ignored acting for a bit. Yeah. So, yeah. I'd seen yeah. stuff on telly, but like, you know, Tommy Cooper and it was more, I'd watched lots of great comedy as well growing up on TV, but there was no live stand up to go up and watch, to go and watch, so it just wasn't in something anyone was doing, Um, and then, yeah, and then even at uni I remember seeing some in Freshers Week and loving it, but it wasn't like, oh, I want to do that at all, Um, yeah, I went to the comedy store a few times on really shit dates, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but I just remember being like, yes, yeah, this is fun, this is really good fun. But I wasn't yeah. like, I wasn't one of those people that went and saw stand up and was like, oh, saw a shining
0: light and thought yeah. this is my dream. Because I always like when you listen to comedians interviewed, quite a lot of them will say, Oh yeah, one day I just stood up and had a go at it. And I was like, Yeah, this is this is great, this is what I mm. want to do forever. And I was for me, the amount of preparation, and I imagine that you'd be like writing and that you'd be so nervous about mm. it. And the fact that people can just stand up and just riff on something for yeah for you know a 10 minute spell at an open mic and they're yeah. like oh yeah this is this is what I want to do for my very career nice it's I saw a, yeah. a really
1: interesting thing on um, uh, a, a recent episode of QI actually where they were saying that the amount you get an enormous amount of humans get a massive amount of dopamine when we're talking about ourselves mm. I mean it explains the rise of the podcast yeah. <laughs> uh, if not stand up the popularity of stand up I mean it's loads of people watching you talk about yourself generally mm. for an hour I mm-hmm. mean That's really nice. It's a lot of dopamine. Yeah. Of course, everyone wants to do it. You get a bit of a rush after a show. Yeah. Oh, it's lovely feeling afterwards.
0: Yeah. So, do you still do much acting now? Yeah. You still? That's like uh...
1: weirdly, I sort of let it completely fall by the wayside. But for years, what because I did think, right, I want to get really good at stand up, and I want to work really hard at this, and it's this. i would look quite like this life and let's do this but then um but also an element of it was wasn't entirely choice i just wasn't getting acting work Mm. what i loved about stand-up certainly in the early years is it's relatively meritocratic so the harder you work the better you get and the better you get the better you do in terms Mm. of live work and that's quite rare in an artsy arts-based job even though Mm. i'll probably argue that stand-up's more of a craft than an art Mm. Um, because of that you can graft away until you're not brilliant but you can make you can actually make yourself better at it through practice definitely cool. uh, and you you sort of must but um, if you want to be good but um, with acting you can be as good or as shit or whatever and I guess you can make your own work but you can't make anybody look at it um, you know, there's no open mic nights for people to go and do ten minutes of acting. Um, so um, and so acting work, someone needs to get it for you. You need an agent who gets you in auditions that you then need to get. So it's n- you don't just choose how much acting you're doing. I and mean, you can write short films and make them with friends and stuff like that. But again, you're not there's no audience for it necessarily. Um, so so it was not entirely choice that I wasn't doing loads of acting during that mm. time. But I was very focused on stand up for years and years. And then weirdly, when I had had my Kid immediately that I had my kid, I think sometimes, certainly the stuff I was going up for at the times, like ads and stuff like that. Casting directors go, Oh, we're we looking for a young mum. Oh, that's one. And like, I just suddenly started getting loads of auditions for yeah. mums, basically mumsy mums characters and stuff, <laughs> but ads and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, and then I suppose I also had a, a very kind of sharpened, renewed energy and focus for work after I'd had my son as well, especially after the first year. I really, everything sort of. Uh, Crystallised in my mind. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean it in a good way. And um, and then yeah, I would say I I love acting as much as I love stand up, and now joyfully in a position to be doing much more interesting stuff with acting. But mm. it's I'm at a level at the moment where I'm getting small parts for in great things. Yeah. So that's really fun. Um, I still, I mean, there's generally a type of person I get cast as what with being hench there's not many romantic leads coming in but they now I'm at a point where I can where I can write those parts for myself yeah. and people not necessarily will make them but they'll definitely read them and consider mm. it now so that's really nice
0: you mentioned your son there mm. who you call your 4-year-old sexist baby yes he is yeah um <laughs> and there's a lot of stand up about family and things like that yeah. spouses you know especially yeah Where they joke on stage, you know, mentioning that they had to run this past their spouse before they let them say it on stage. And I kind of wonder, what do you think your son's going to think when he grows up and then looks back and sees your stand up?
1: Well, actually, I was having a conversation with friends about this earlier today. So he's just turned four. And, um, you know, he's been a. I don't even swear on this. He's been a fucking handful of a toddler. Uh, even as a baby, he was a, a lush, happy baby. But he's never slept. The little prick. And he, but but as a toddler, he's he's five, like violent. Also very adorable. But that's not very funny. And I genuinely <laughs> thought, well, I think school start school in September, and that's a bit of a cut off point for me. Mm. I think in terms of certainly how I'll talk about him. The idea of my son going to school and. I don't think it will affect him that much when he's at primary you know in reception and primary school and stuff but the idea of him getting to sort of much more sort of sentient age, like 9 10 or whatever and being at school and people knowing that your mum's it, like on television sometimes mm. talking about you I won't do that to him like, yeah. I, I do think that's not okay. I will I'll go to town with my parents. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I, I think I, I'd like to always be able to talk about my partners, but within reason, you know, hopefully I would never paint anyone who was an arsehole mm. as an arsehole, uh, ever, you mm. know. Um. But but with him, I think, I was, I was thinking about it, I, was like, I don't have any regrets about the stuff I've spoken about so far about what he's like as a toddler, because by the time he's intelligent enough to understand it, let alone watch it, hopefully he should be able to laugh at what a nightmare he was as yeah. a toddler, because hopefully he'd be a really nice guy by then. <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> (laughs) Grown out of all that stuff, and he'll be an absolute dream. Dream sun, please, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I think you. I think if you're a
1: baby or a toddler, you're fair game. But once you're at school, I don't. I'd hate to think that he was ever embarrassed Mm. by anything I'd done or or hurt. Never, never, never.
0: I always think it's amazing how comedians will talk about friends and parties they've been Mm. to and tell quite a specific story. And obviously. Some of yeah, it's And then up, expect to still be able to go to parties yeah. in people's houses
1: and stuff. But what that means is you. But the amount. The, the, one of the many downsides of being a comic, although it's a dream job, is that you do meet new people and they go, oh God, this is not going to make it into a bit, is it? And you go, yeah. oh, no, no. More creative <laughs> than that. And actually, in terms of stories from real life, I take a seed and then grow mm. it into a different tree and hopefully. Yeah. I I certainly think people I've written in situations that have happened to me that I've written into narrative things, people don't recognise themselves a lot of the time. And conversely, I get people I've got a bit in my show where this show I'm doing at the moment, hench where I talk about a friend who had an epidural during her labour and she said, Yeah, I've always I've ne- I've never been very good with pain, I've always wanted I've always knew I wanted massive pain relief during labour and I was mm. like, Great, you know, good for you, that's who it's for. That's you know, at that bit of the show and um I've had, I know the friend it was who said that. Yeah. I've had three other mates say to me, that was me, wasn't it? And I was like, no, (laughs) that's my friend Katie. But also, you know, you're not painting them in a bad light, but people, uh, people look for themselves in your work even when they're not there. Yeah.
0: Have you ever heard yourself be mentioned in someone else's stand-up show? Yeah. 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 And is that, how is that? Is that like a bit awkward to hear? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No,
1: not awkward. Kiri Pritchard-McLean had a bit. So, um, we just spoke about it, actually, on my podcast that's going out in a few weeks. But she, um, she uh, at one point, she'd had a terrible breakup. She lost loads and loads and loads and loads of weight. And I was sort of at the beginning of a journey of realising how unhelpful it is on such a deep soci- sociological level to say, oh, my God, you lost weight. You look amazing. And I said to her, oh, God, what's happened? Your body's changed completely. Are you doing loads of exercise? Yeah. I just sort of said the same thing, but in a really roundabout way. Like I couldn't not comment really on her body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was also like... I think I said something like you look really fit you look like and my mum says that my mum's desperate to tell me if she thinks I've lost weight but now she knows mm. to say you look like you've been working out <laughs> and I was like oh god and you know but she had a lovely then she did a bit of stand up and then when it started she was saying feminist watching a feminist try and compliment someone on their weight loss is hilarious yeah. and she said it was like fit and then um, it evolved it was really interesting watching her process and watching it evolve and the end punchline was something like oh your body's changed congratulations on losing lots of soci- societal oppression yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> (laughs) So she made it completely, you know, you go, yeah. Yeah. Again, you take the seed and you make it bonkers. But she would say, my friend Jess. And I was like, (laughs) hee hee hee. Yeah, I'm up for that.
0: You talk about a lot of things that um, would be quite difficult for an older generation or stereotypically the older generation Mm. would be, think of you as being super left or liberal and millennial Mm -hmm. mindset, that kind of thing. Yeah. so do you find it awkward? Do your parents come to your shows, and do they find what you're talking about funny, or is that a bit of a difficult thing to talk about? There. Um,
1: so I talk about my mum and I, who are we so close, but we had in this show we have quite different opinions on about what you know what our instinctive reaction is when we see a a muscular woman, mm. and um, yeah, I mean it sparked a debate. My mum was seen this show and um, i was very nervous before that one i don't like again i don't want to upset anyone and i mm. and i am talking about some opinions which you know the tone of the show they're not favorable for you know mm. it she's but also i hopefully i try and explain she's got the opinion of most of society yeah. i'm just putting a voice to it um but um she she's you know she'll be like well actually i would like to make it clear that i don't like any like big Bulging bodybuilders, men or women, I just think mm. it looks painful. And, I, and you're like, yeah, all right. You know, I get it. But I think so. I think with her, I, you know, ideally, she'd rather I didn't talk about her in my set. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't choose to be born. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Whereas with my dad, I think he finds the whole fact that I am a stand up so mortifying. Oh, no. Yeah, just embarrassed, cringing embarrassment from him. So I don't care. Yeah. Also, yeah, he,
0: can, he deserves it. Any, any <laughs> I was going to ask you what much, your yeah. parents do and if you came from like a, an arty, creative no, sort of family. No, no, no. Yeah. They
1: both think that my job is like their idea of hell. And <laughs> my mum, my dad thinks it's embarrassing and my mum has just pity. My mum is just oh my like, God. oh, my God. If I say to her like, oh, my God, I've got this gig at the Royal Albert Hall, she will be like, oh, God. Poor, poor you because she, she, her idea of standing up in front of 5,000 people was fair enough but Yeah, it's a bit of an empathy fail but it, no my um, dad was a wine salesman and my mum was a nurse and now works in um, sort of training and child protection and with lots of special needs specialism yeah sort of in the care side of education yeah my dad's well sells wine so how did Sold you end wine. up in drama um, my dad was very, very funny though. Mm. Um, is very funny. I'm talking about like he's not alive. He's so alive. Um, I did a bit of Andram at school and in my town where I grew up, and then I didn't think it was a career I wanted mm. necessarily. I did a law degree, and then realised probably a year into that that I if I, I if I was going to be a lawyer, I wanted to be either a criminal or a family barrister, and that actually the path to that was so long and tricky and expensive. Not I couldn't do it, or I wouldn't enjoy it, but it would have to be the only thing I wanted to do Mm. for me to give it the effort and energy and time and money, and years more studying to do it. And I was like, well, it's not the only thing I want to do. So I floated around for a bit, managing coffee shops and stuff, and started writing bits and bobs, and then started off doing some improvised stuff, pretty much... By accident I went never seen any improvised things and I went to watch some sketches I'd written be performed as part of this scratch night and there was some improv on and asked if I could have a go at that and then he said yeah and then ended up working with some absolutely brilliant people we ended up a year or two later starting our own improv group for a year or so that had amazing people in it like Sarah Pascoe and Carrie Lloyd and Paul Foxcroft and um, Gemma Whelan and Gemma Smith and, like, people have gone on to fucking Game of Thrones and mm-hmm. also, you know, mad, mad kind of group to have started out in. But we a few of us started stand-up and then that was the end of that. We weren't committing to it enough. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, that was it, really. It was a bit of a bumbling path. Um, but I think discovering stand-up felt so exciting because it felt like, oh, if I, you know, it's, this, this, it's not as luck-based as, um, those other, th- all those, those, other things I was doing—the writing and the acting—with that, with stand-up, there's always gigs. You know, you're not going to be paid for them for years. You have to temp, or you have to do something else. But and then, as the years go on, you stop, stop having to temp. And I, I had years where instead of temping, I did lots and lots of writing for other comedians, from much bigger profile mm. comedians, and on. Eventually, then for the shows that I was writing for them, on started writing directly for some of the shows and. Yeah, I sort of took a writing route in, really, and then had realised I'd got to the point where I was getting considered to be a writer more than a performer, and was like, OK, I need to shift gear again. I also had to have a big gear shift about a year after having my son. I realised I was working very hard at, at Club Comedy for money that had been... You're so proud when you get to stop all the day jobbing, and... Um, with stand up but it means then you're out every weekend in different cities sometimes in different countries playing in these clubs and actually I realised oh one this type of comedy is not making my comedy better because it was big groups of birthdays and stags and hens and actually your stuff has to be quite basic and accessible and energetic and in especially if you're a woman it's just you're up against it and mm. it, I just wasn't enjoying it anymore and I certainly to the extent where I thought well I don't want to be doing this into my 40s let alone my 50s so why am I doing it now? why is all my energy going on it now again like pull back look at the bigger picture and go right start writing longer things start focusing on Edinburgh's what else can you be doing for money if you don't want to be doing that at weekends yeah. and those changes all of them took a good year or two to affect but yeah it's yeah. been sort of constantly just trying to I think another thing I learnt really early on in terms of this, I'm giving you a very full answer, is that okay? That's is great. that you've got to enjoy the journey. Like you can't just go, Well, I wanna be famous. Yeah. I want an award I want a big prize. Mm. <laughs> or I want to go on this massive T V show. I mean you can want those things, but unless you're gonna enjoy the way you're gonna get there, you're gonna have a shitty old life if you're mm. I certainly would. I'm not I'm more process driven than goal driven mm. and um and that's I uh, that's how I I found a way to be very happy with it. Probably taking eight, nine years before anyone took any notice of me. Really, as a stand-up. Yeah. yeah.
0: I thought it was interesting that you referred to comedy as being a craft instead of an art. Yeah. Um, and I just wondered why you why you thought that. Um,
1: I can't articulate it as well as Sarah Pascoe does in her show Lads, 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 which is available on iPlayer. <laughs> um, and I, w- I don't want to paraphrase her joke, yeah. but she does an absolutely brilliant joke about um, uh, the difference. I can't, I can't articulate it as well as she does, but can I? Can I do like a footnote? Please refer to that. Yeah, brilliant I'll, I'll, bit um, of comedy. I'll link to it. Oh, from could the description. yeah. It basically it's in, it involves a chair, like the making yeah. the making of a chair. Okay, yeah. cool.
0: Yeah, all right, everyone, yeah. Yeah. yeah, follow the link in the description yeah, 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 for that yeah. one. She nails it. So, yeah, your new show, Hench, yeah. um, what can people expect to see when they come and watch you?
1: Um, um, very sort of passionate, moody woman.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Telling jokes in a row about, loosely around the themes of strength and power and um, rage and gender. I think Ooh, okay. I thought I was writing a show about strengths, and I think I've written a show about gender, really. Okay. But um, yeah, it's um, I talk about my son a bit. Um, I talk about oh, by the way, I do think I'll continue to talk about the experience of parenting. Yeah. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, because that's Just my not, story. Um, but I won't. Yeah, I can't talking ever Talking about your son, directly. Yeah, yeah. I, I can certainly make myself look bad as things go on.
0: Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got
1: to be able to use that. Otherwise, what's the value in? being a shit parent yeah. Um, no um, yeah what else can I expect I don't know hopefully it's funny all the way through um, I talk about bodies and compliments and I talk a bit about the diet industry as well
0: mm. yeah. cool yeah. so what dates have you got coming up that people can still buy tickets for um,
1: so the Bristol ones and Bath ones have sold out but um, t- I suppose this is going out everywhere isn't it it or certainly it is yeah, yeah. yeah so um uh there's definitely tickets in Edinburgh, Glasgow, uh Aberdeen, Colchester, Canterbury, um, Birmingham, Brighton. Uh I think there's limited availability in all the other places but and I'm going to Melbourne. If you have any listeners in Melbourne, please <laughs> come. I'll be there all month during the show and I don't think anyone there knows who I am, so please come okay. to that. And um yeah, there's like ninety dates, so there might there wow. must be one somewhere near your house.
0: Okay. Cool. Um, And how can we follow you on social media?
1: At Jessica Foster Q on everything.
0: Nice and easy. All right. um, Thanks a lot for talking to me. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And enjoy the rest of your tour.
1: Thank you.